that's, that's what you got to keep in mind when you're looking at the book of Revelation. Well, this morning, if this is your first time here, and I met some folks already, this is your first time here. I've been going through a series found in Matthew 5, which is the opening of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest uh, talk or sermon of Jesus that we have in the Bible. It is like the best sermon ever preached. Um, and, uh, and it's sometimes vastly under um, esteemed because there's a lot in it and because we don't study it in detail and, uh, you know, just for various reasons. And, and I put myself in that camp, uh, read, studied, looked at it. But boy, I tell you, when I've been doing these deep dives into the, these just because we're taking a verse at the time, going through what is known as the Beatitudes at the very beginning. This is his introduction to the rest because the three chapters that make up this sermon are the description of what kingdom living looks like and what a citizen of the kingdom, uh, what his life looks like. And today we come uh, to verse uh, eight. And so we're going to read uh, verse eight. I hope you have your Bibles open to Matthew five. And the other thing we've been doing, just so you can know where we are, is we are taking what is known as the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five. The Bible says this is the fruit of the spirit. It's a singular word fruit. Nine things are listed. We have nine beatitudes and we're going through and we're comparing the beatitude to the fruit that is listed in the same order. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to do that. So I'm not making like you've got to do that. But what I've noticed when I did look at it all is that they do match up quite well. So it, I think it's on a kind of a good track to do that. Plus, this is all stuff I say every week, but I want everybody to be caught up. Each one builds on the other and we're on the sixth one today. So you've missed five. I'm sorry, but uh, but I suggest you go back and look at them. I'll probably kind of review them as we get started in just a moment. But I know you just sat down, but this morning I want to read these two verses. So if you don't mind standing up with me once again in verse eight. I'm just going to read verse 8 and I'm going to read Galatians 5, 22. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Those are some very, very key words. And over in Galatians 5, um, the Bible says this. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's the sixth one. Faithfulness. So let's pray together. Father, in Jesus name, I thank you that we have just been able to sing and just flow into prayer and back into discussing what your word teaches us. And I pray, God, that will be true today. Lord, we have we have sung great things today that just that, that speak into into what I need to say now. So, Lord, I am not capable. I'm not I'm not smart enough. I'm not intelligent enough, not articulate enough. Uh, but Lord, uh, uh, so all these, what, what I say is like stuttering and stammering. But God, we know that you bless the stutterings and stammerings as we look at your word and your spirit speaks into our heart what we need to see and hear. So Lord, I pray this day that no matter where anyone is in here on their spiritual journey, whether they don't know you uh, at all or whether they've been walking with you for many, many years, that today, Lord, your Holy Spirit would speak to us and bring us to the place where we need to be. Help us to seek you, to follow you, to find you. Lord, today, you are not hidden. You're not hiding from us. We just are not looking for you. And uh, we've, we've learned in this Beatitudes, there's none righteous, not, not even one. No one seeks after God. Uh, that's a result of what you do in our life to desire to seek after you. So, 
This day, Lord, may we be God chasers. May we, may we chase after you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Maybe seated. I just used that term God chaser. It was a kind of a popular term a few years back, uh, but it was described this way. When you've got a little toddler child and you're the dad, you play chase with that child and you let him almost catch you, but you're always moving just at the last second. And the child is just laughing and about to collapse in glee. And, and then finally you let the child catch you and you fall down and they, oh, you caught me. And the kid thinks he did. That's what God does. <laughs> He, he, he makes you aware and he starts moving around. So you're following him until he gets you where you need to be. So I pray God does that in all of our lives today. What does God expect? That's the title of this whole series I'm trying to do. And today, how can I see God? Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. How can I see God? Pardon my uh, big mug today. I forgot to get the water. So I'm going with the, um, the better drink, the coffee. So um, uh, keeping it with me. <laughs> And I don't have, there's a design on this side that it's not appropriate for broadcast probably because uh, it's more of a political thing, so I don't want to do that. But uh, anyway, um, I got to keep that hidden from you, but you might can tell by the color. Uh, anyway, this verse, you heard it pure in heart, pure in heart. What does that mean to be pure? We, in, in our lives, we, we count purity as something that we do. And in all of this, these beatitudes, it's not a matter of what we do that is the emphasis. It's a matter of where we are, what is going on inside of us. And, and I said I might review them a little bit. Here in Matthew 5, we, we started with that blessed are the poor in spirit in verse 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that poor in spirit means that you recognize that you have nothing. You're destitute spiritually and you have no means of getting anything. It would be as if, um, sorry to be, uh, to say it this way uh, because it, it sounds horrible and it is. But I don't mean to do that. But, but let us say you went on a hike on some trail in the mountains around here. And you fell and you fell some distance and you broke your neck. You broke your back so that you were paralyzed. You have, you can't reach for anything. You can't do anything. You may not even be able to call out for help. That's being poor in spirit. You're totally destitute without the ability to get what you need to get out of it. And when you realize that, those are the ones, it says, that inherit the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because if you think you can work your way in, if you think you can do enough to get there, then you are, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're climbing a ladder of success that's leaning on the wrong wall, okay? If, if you get to the top of that, you may have succeeded in climbing a ladder of religious activity, of, of being a moral person, but when you get to the top of the wall, you're still not in the right place. In fact, that will become very uh, clear possibly today, again, in this sermon. The second thing is, blessed are those who mourn. When you realize you got nothing, have no means of getting anything, you're going to cry out mourning your condition and, and being sad and mourn because you don't have what you need and can't get it. And those people will be comforted. God will come and help you and give you that comfort. And then we saw blessed are the meek. That is teachable. That is a humble spirit that will, is willing to listen for they shall inherit the earth. Well, if I don't have anything, can't get anything and I'm mourning that condition, I'm certainly going to listen to somebody that can help me get what I need to get where I need to be. And then we saw that and when we get there, when we start 
accepting that, that teaching, we want more of it and we long for it. And that hunger and thirsting, the next one, for righteousness, we want it so bad we're pursuing it all the time. They will be satisfied. In fact, it's an abundance of satisfaction. And when that happens, we become merciful because we realize we had nothing, couldn't get anything. We mourn that. God taught us. He blessed us. He put a hunger in us. And now we see hunger in other people. We want to let them know that they too shall, can find uh, the, the blessings of God. And, and so we are merciful to do that. And we obtain mercy for it. And that brings us to today. We are pure in heart. So I want to go back up and I want to give you, there's a basis for this uh, believed by some scholars and, and I don't think they'd be wrong, but just let you know, it's just a belief. There's not a necessarily direct correlation. But in Psalm 22, 23, and 24, everybody knows Psalm 23, right? The Lord's my shepherd. What you might not know is that is a trilogy of Psalms that are meant to be together. Psalm 22 is about the crucifixion. It is where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My joints are at, all my joints have come apart uh, where they, they're casting lots for his gowns and he's dying. And then we come to Psalm 23 and this is Jesus trusting the shepherd to raise him from the dead. That even though he walked through the valley of death, he feared not that evil because God, the father was with him. The Holy Spirit was with him as he offered himself as a sacrifice for us all. And then we come to Psalm 24 and that's a triumphant king. Man, when he comes back, <laughs> lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up. Man, the king of glory is coming in. Well, in Psalm 24, when the king of glory is coming in, verses 3 and 4 say this. Who shall ascend to the hill of Yahweh, or the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. In other words, you don't say one thing and do another. Well, that's the meaning of this word. The word purity here means a singleness, a focus, a singleness of purpose. It is you've locked everything out of your vision, your mind, your desire, except one thing. There's, there's a habit among highly successful people and I, I'm making this up. It's just in listening to them talk. Uh, and I do try to listen to a lot of different things. I've caught something. And that is in almost everyone. And I don't do this consistently. Let me just go ahead and confess that. But I, I've told you before. I am not a good riser in the morning. I do not want to get up. Okay. I've, my whole life I like to stay up late. And, and, and then that makes you want to sleep late. But when I was young, I could stay up late and get up early. And now as the older I get, I'm not, I'm not really that night person anymore, but I'm still not a morning person. So catch me between 10 and 2, I'm good, all right? That's, that's about the cushion I got there. But, but in the morning, well, those mornings when I know I got to rise and I don't want to, I talk to myself in my head. Now, I, not crazily, I just like... All right, dude, you got to get up because this is what you got to do. And I'll start outlining. You got to get up. You got to go do this. You got to go to the gym. You got to you got to do your quad. You got to have some breakfast. You got to go to work. Gotta, and I'll just tell myself, get up, get up, you boy. Come on, let's go. Let's get it. So I'll talk to myself. Well, people that are highly successful have a signal, singleness of purpose. They know why they're rising up in the morning. They know why they're getting up. They know what they're going to do. And they cancel out anything that distracts from that doesn't enter the picture. Now, I. 
I, I thought about bringing a cup of water up here and as I talked about purity, start sprinkling dirt in it. And uh, that's kind of an old illustration, so I didn't do it, so I just brought my dirty coffee anyway. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, I got this um, medicine I take that really drives my mouth, so I have to keep sipping all day, so I apologize for doing that. But, but this singleness means that there's nothing else there. That's why we use the word pure. There's no mixture in there of anything else. This, listen, in a, in a way, Jesus is saying here, and this is this early in the ministry, it's his first kind of he outlines everything at the beginning and then he lives it out. We, we in our modern day, in our modern church, in this modern country we live in, it's not true around the world, but at least in American Christianity, we have this idea, and, and I'm going to make it as bad as it can be. We have this idea that there's a magic formula, and if you repeat that in what we call a prayer out loud, you get a ticket to heaven. Nothing will ever take it away from you. You can do whatever you want, because when you were 8, 9, 10, 12, or 50, you said some magical words, and God saved you, and that's it. And I can't find that anywhere in the scripture. It says, those who call on the name of the Lord. Now, that was written in a book called Romans. And in fact, tonight you'll hear about a guy who actually did this. He was a disciple of John the Apostle. And he was brought by King Herod to be killed in the Colosseum. And what he had to do, and they had a group of Christians behind him. And they would spare his life if he'd have turned around and waved his hand at them and said, Be gone, all you atheists. Why? Because... They followed Christ and not Rome. Because if you're a Roman citizen, you have to say Caesar is Lord. But Paul told us, no, you say Jesus is Lord. And there's no other. But this man, instead of doing that, turned and looked at Caesar and the crowd and waved his hands there and said, be gone, all you atheists. He was proclaiming the true God, the true Christ. That's what... Pure in heart means. In fact, Jesus gave an example of it or a illustration of it just in the next chapter, according to how we've numbered it. In uh, chapter 6, if you want to look there, verses 22 and 23. Now, I'm reading out of what is known as the English Standard Version of the Bible. King James uses uh, uh, a different word and the word that we want to see. Um, this is trying to help us understand it. But I wish they had left it kind of the way it was because it's what it actually says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy and the word pure includes healthy. But this word means singleness. If your eye, King James says, if your eye be single. If, if it is only looking at one thing. And it's translated here as healthy. Your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad or unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. It, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is saying, when you look at anything else other than God, you go unhealthy. When he's not your sole focus, you go unhealthy. And another idea of this word is, and you know, I have a couple of kilts and I like to wear them when Janice is out of town. And... <laughs> And y'all tell on me, but anyway. <laughs> it's got pleats in the back, right? This means to take those pleats and unfold them. 
so nothing is hidden. You can't hide something in a pocket or a pleat or hide it under something. It is just, it's spread out. You can see it all. Nothing there to, to distract. So this word purity is an attitude of our heart. It's an attitude of our life that we desire nothing but God. In the morning we get up because... Woo, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And psalmist said, when you said, seek my face, I said, thy face, O Lord, will I seek. The Bible tells us Jesus rose up a great time before dawn and went and prayed to his father in heaven. Because he was single of heart and mind and purpose. And by the, by the way, well, we'll look, at, we'll look at this a little bit more and then I'll say this. This also has the idea of being cleansed because you were born with a dirty heart. You were born with a wicked heart. Listen to what Revelation 21, 27 says. Speaking of Revelation, I got two verses from there. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Talking about heaven. Nor anyone who, or the holy city. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So if there's any unclean element in our heart. Revelation 22, the next chapter, 14 and 15 says... Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So in Revelation, it says our, we've been cleansed. We've been, we've been made pure. Those who wash their robes. How? In the blood of Christ, right? Isaiah said... And let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. And, and so God comes and he, and he changes us. And in, in Ezekiel, he talks about that we have a heart of stone. And God told him to tell us, but I'm going to take out that heart of stone. Because, well, let me just explain the heart of stone. The heart of stone here is the law, but doesn't care because it's bouncing off that hard heart. It can't be penetrated. And so God gave the law, but our hearts were hard. Jeremiah, I'm coming to that in a minute. But let me go ahead and... And uh, uh, throw it in there uh, now. Our heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And so we have this heart of stone that is not open or tender to God. And he says he's going to remove a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And write his law in our heart. So that when the Holy Spirit speaks, there's an echo. And, and, and God has written the law, but he also written to his word. We have an objective word of God, but he also puts that into our, and we're using this term, Heart. He put it into our heart. See, Jesus is the example. I'm going to come back and talk about what the heart means. In 1 Peter 2, Peter testifies when he was with Christ. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. There was no mixture in him. Holiness is another Part of purity. It means to live for God alone. We sang holy, holy, holy to start, right? Holy means to cut out or to separate out. It, and I always like to use the uh, idea of, a, of, a, of a, a cattleman and he's got a herd and they've got new calves and he rides in there on that quarter horse and he cuts out that calf and they put that brand on that calf and now that calf is marked always for that owner. So it is with what we are in holiness. God pulls us out of the crowd and he puts his mark on us. He brands us to be Christians. Back in the 70s and 80s, we, we had a little trite, little fun saying that said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Are, are you? are you living for Christ? 
That's a trite way. This is how Jesus said it. We have to be pure in heart. You see, the heart involves the entire man. It's not just a part of us. It, 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 he said the heart, not the head. It's not whether you understand it. It's not if you said a certain prayer. Listen, I believe in saying a prayer to God. I believe in calling out to him and asking him to, to, to be your savior, your Lord. But it's not magic words. It has to be the cry of, of something that God's doing in us, that heart that wants him. And it's not a, a mental understanding. It is, it is something that is the center of our personality. And when the Bible is using heart in this way, and it doesn't always use this term because different cultures use different organs. Just couldn't tell you the Old Testament was your kidneys, but now it's your heart. And, and, and here, so it's just the word for heart, uh, the physical, but it's not, obviously not that physical uh, organ. And, and the heart involves our intellect, our emotion, our will, and our spirit. You see, I, I, we talk about a free will. Our will is bound by Satan. The only men that had a free will were Adam and Jesus. Everybody else has a enshackled will. You were born in slavery to sin at the moment of conception, according to David in Psalm 139. In sin, I was conceived. Not as mom and dad sin, but when that life started, it, not everybody went to ch church for kids. You know what I'm talking about. But at that moment, you were a sinner. And it's evidence because once you got out here and could start moving around, you sinned. And we have to beat that out of our kids. You cannot. That was just a joke. I was just trying to emphasize. I don't believe in beating your children. Some, some serious negotiation, though. Yes, absolutely. That may involve some physical consequences. But anyway, we are sinners in need of a Savior, in need of that cleansing and our heart now our will is set free the shackles are broken and now we become a slave to righteousness before we were a slave to sin and we're delivered from that but not to do what we want to do but he gives us the power to do what we ought to do and that's what it means to be a slave to righteousness so we drop the shackles of sin but we take on willingly to be a slave of the lord that's what paul called himself paul a slave of the lord jesus christ that's who you and I are. Check Romans 1 and verse 1 and 2 there. And, and so our heart is not the is, I'm sorry, the heart is the seat of our trouble. Why we're not pure. Because it's not in our circumstances. What was wrong with Adam's circumstances? Nothing. He talked with God. He walked with God. He saw him in person. They're walking through a garden and all he had to do was go, yep, it's still growing. Everything's going fine. No stickers, no, no having to pull weeds. Just the, yep, food's ready. Let me get some and let's eat it. He tended the garden, but it was an easy job. Man, he was on easy street. And so he just didn't like that. And he decided to rebel against the one who did that for him. It's not about circumstances. It's not about where you place yourself. Some people think if they can separate themselves totally from the world, like the monks did, that you become holy. But as Vance Haver said, nobody's ever been holier by living in a hole. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Second Chronicles 25, 2, I, 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 love, I love this verse because of how it is worded in scripture. Talk about one of the kings and it said, he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh yet not with a whole heart. You see, man looks at your action, God looks at your heart. He looks at your motivation for everything you do. And it's not about what you do, because we also 
read in Matthew at the judgment that he's got sheep on his right and goats on his left. And the goats are saying, we did this. We, we, we cast out demons. We saw the sick healed. We, he said, I don't know you. In John, Jesus, they says many believed on him, but he did not entrust himself to them for he knew what was in the heart of man. You can look that up in the book of John. In fact, uh, 1 John uh, uh, 1 John 3 talks about that when we see him, we'll be like him. And when we have that hope, we purify ourselves. Think about Caleb and Joshua. And I've I, I got to kind of hurry, but if you thought I wasn't hurrying already. Um, Caleb and Joshua were the two out of 12 spies. They went in to recon Canaan. And this is at the beginning of the Exodus in the first couple of months they cross over from Egypt they get there and Moses sends in 12 spies come report on so we it's called a recon mission find out what's going on everybody came back they brought a cluster of grapes carried on their shoulders there were literal giants living in the land at that time of the Anakim or Anak was their father and they all went Woo, we can't take them boys and God said fine this generation doesn't believe me. Y'all can wander around for 40 years till you're all dead. And then I'll bring in your children. Except for Caleb and Joshua. Because those were two spies that believed God. They went, what are you guys talking about? God said we can take it. We can take it. We can beat them. Well, fast forward 45 years later. Joshua and Caleb were probably around 40. Because at 85 years old. Anybody in here? Well, I'm going to ask that. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing 85 right over that hill over there. I'm not that old, but I'll be blessed if I make it that far. At 85, Caleb walks up to Joshua and says, hey, Josh. I don't know if he called him that, but for the sake of this story, that's what we're going to call him. Hey, Josh, you remember, son, 45 years ago, me and you, 10 other guys, they all lied. They're all dead. It's just me and you. And for five years, I've been helping all these kids of those men get their land. And Moses promised me that mountain and nobody's helped me yet. And I want that mountain. I'm tired of fighting for everybody else. Give me that mountain. And if you don't have anybody to help me, fine. I'll go take it by myself. Well, let me read how scripture says it. <laughs> then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day. Because he wholly followed Yahweh, the God of Israel. And by the way, in that same passage, says he killed the sons of Anak. He killed giants. And he's 85. So if you're 85, don't hand me that excuse. <laughs> you see, it means to wholly follow after God. David said in Psalm 51:10, create in me a clean heart. Oh, Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. And notice what you get. If you are pure in everything that is you, you shall see God. When God is the focus of your life, when he becomes your sole desire, Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting everything's behind. He didn't say, I forget all the bad stuff. He said, I forget everything. Good stuff, bad stuff, doesn't matter. It's only going to cloud the vision of the future. I'm headed toward Jesus, forgetting everything's behind. I press on for the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ. And that's what, and Paul's living in a horrible situation, but he's single focused on Christ. And if you are not pure in heart, you cannot see God. 
Now, here's what's interesting about that. The Bible says no human can see God. Listen to it. It, the, The word here for see, I looked it up. There is a Greek word that means see, like I can see my Bible. That's, that's one word. This is not that word. This word means to gaze with wide open eyes at something remarkable. It's not casual looking and seeing. It is. Whoo, those who are pure in heart will see God. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. But then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. John 1.18, the book, the gospel of John. No one has seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. Talking about himself. Jesus said, you're looking at me, that's going to be your vision of God. First John 3, that I started to quote a minute ago. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this who thus hopes in him, in him purifies himself as he is pure. And that our, the, God, the part of God we're going to see is Jesus. We believe that. Uh, Pastor Andy mentioned theophanies in the Old Testament. Men saw God. We believe they were seeing the pre-incarnate Christ. And then Christ entered human existence at Bethlehem, putting on a human body. He appeared as a human before, but now he actually possesses a human body. And he lived as a man in this world. And that body was crucified on the cross. It was buried. And that body is now ascended and sits at the right hand of God in heaven, awaiting the command to come back. Which is coming closer and closer. So that's why you need to come tonight. At five o'clock and cross down. Now, I want you to catch this. Are you living your life with the knowledge that where you are headed is to see God? Now, what in your life that you may even brag about now or are super involved in and maybe mindlessly or maybe purposefully? Do you want to see God with I don't think that was, I don't know what that was. (laughs) Because again, it's not where I am, it's what's in here. It's not what I'm doing, it's what's in here. What's my motivation? Because you can be in some bad spots and have a pure heart. And you're there because you're on a rescue mission. I mean, rescue guys don't go, (laughs) you know, in Alaska, there's a Coast Guard station and that sea up there is very cold, very rough. And most of the time, it's an unbelievable situation. And they go save more people than anybody else. And more para jumpers and para swimmers die in Alaska. They even made a movie about it than anywhere else because it's so rough. So the guys that go to rescue people don't go, man, we ain't going out there. That guy's crazy. He should have known better getting that bad situation. No, they just go do their best to get him out. Isn't that what Jesus told us to do? Aren't we supposed to go into the dark, dirty, fallen world and light a candle and don't hide it under an expensive bushel? The corresponding fruit of the Spirit, the part of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Goodness is a result of purity. 
Because, friend, let me tell you, I'm not good. And neither are you. Only four times in the New Testament does this word goodness appear, and it's all used by Paul. He does it every time it's used. It conveys a generosity and a benevolence towards someone else. It's going the second mile when it's not even required. In other words, when you are pure in heart and you know you, you can see God, maybe not fully, but with the eyes of faith, we're, we're looking forward to the day when it's not eyes of faith, but the eyes of our sight. But right now in faith, we see God and we understand who he is and we understand the fallen condition of people around us. And, and we are not callous and uncaring. And we want to go save them. We want to go help them. We want to go show them the light of the gospel. Do you know what you call a Christian who is concerned about those billions of people in the world that don't have an opportunity to hear of Christ, yet they do not go as a missionary themselves. You know what they're called? Christians. It is, it is the standard of living for anybody that names the name of Christ to be concerned. Let's round out the population of the world at 7 billion. Two probably billion already know Christ another two maybe three could hear about Christ but there's at least two billion at least and maybe more that don't have the opportunity to hear who's going to them well goodness conveys that we should because we're pure in heart so we're good and we want to go the second mile we want to sacrifice we want to give up whatever we have to make that happen. We even have a little saying, well, out of the goodness of their heart, they did this. We even get this idea, right? Let me read you a verse that maybe you've never heard preached and never read. It's not obscure. It's there, but maybe you never noticed it. It's Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And it says this, to the pure... All things are pure. How you like that? That means wherever you go, what you're seeing is God at work in that thing. What is God doing here? Because you're pure in heart and your focus is on God. And God takes you into this weird place. And everybody says, where are you going? I'm going to, going to rescue them. Don't you see them? They're drowning. I, I got to get in the water. I got to help them. But it's dangerous. And there, you know, there are other people that are going to help you help them. And those people, they... They're not good people either. Who cares? All I see is God and that person who needs me. I'm going after him because I see God and he's showing me him. And I got to get him. I got to do it. Because I don't have an option. I don't have an excuse. To the pure, all things are pure. But listen to the rest of it. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. You ever had somebody tell a joke at work and you went, I don't get it good you shouldn't get it because the ungodly and defiled get it it's called a double entendre basically or a dirty joke but both their minds and their consciousnesses are defiled they profess to know God but they deny him by their works that's not even in James that's in Titus from Paul to Titus they are detestable disobedient unfit for any good work Friend, 
We have to be pure in heart to be made fit for goodness to come in our life. And when we're pure in heart, we begin to see God because we're, we're getting on his wavelength. I'm using that metaphorically. We're, we're starting to track with what he's bringing us to. Well, I'm much out of time. Let me, let me give you three thoughts here as we leave in just a moment. What, what are you allowing to cloud your heart? There, there's so many distractions in our world. Man, this is one of the biggest ones, you know. And the stuff that you can carry around with you on that thing is, is unbelievable. I'm, I am actively working to just lay it down. It has become a tool of business now. So you, if you're in any kind of business or activity like I am, people need to get in touch with you. We've become used to being able to do that. I, lo- I like the days when you left your house, nobody could find you. <laughs> but now they can track you down, okay? Which is a good and bad thing. But what is in your life that is just taking your mind away from God, distracting you? And when you're ADHD like me, boy, you need to start noticing that. Because I can be a squirrel, you know. That's that's easy for me to do. So I I see that. What am I allowing in my heart and life that clouds that heart? And are you living with the conscious knowledge that you're about to see God? And is the... Fruit of goodness in your life that you would live like Jesus did. I mean, rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know that you're good. He said, Why do you call me good? The only person that's good is God. And you're right, God is good. And Jesus is God. And Jesus tried to tell him, You're right to say it, but think about why, what you just said. That's who you're talking to. So, the fruit of goodness is we serve like Jesus served. Did he, did he reserve his service to people that was like him? Nope. Did he reserve his service to people that was of his same sex? Nope. In a culture where you didn't do that, he, he helped other women. In fact, when Mary was washing his feet with tears or the, or the ointment, either case, well, if you knew what kind of woman that was, you wouldn't let her touch you. He goes, are you kidding me? You're the center here. You were supposed to wash my feet. You were supposed to give me the... You didn't do any of that, but she did. And wherever the gospel's preached, she's going to be mentioned. Hello today. 